Chapter Twenty Eight of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Eight, Out of All Reason. Worse troubles than those of the troublesome body were visiting one worth a thousand of me. Captain Fairthorne was still in Scotland, while his fair daughter was being worried as a lamb among playful wolves. Without any aid, her stepmother was enough to supply her with constant misery but even her malice was more easy to endure than the insolent attentions of two vile men. To these the poor girl was exposed every day, for if she took refuge in her own room, she was bodily compelled to come down again, and her gentle appeals and even strong disdain were treated as a child's coquetry. There are few things more truculent to a woman, even a very young one, than the jocular assumption that she does not know her mind and perhaps has little of that article to know. Sir Cumberlay Hotchpot proceeded regularly upon that assumption, and though Kitty had the sweetest temper ever bestowed as a blessing to the owner and all around, this foregone conclusion and heavenly pity from a creature by no means celestial drove her sometimes towards a tremulous line which severs sanity from insanity. For it has been said, and perhaps with truth, that the largest and soundest of human minds could not remain either large or sound if all the other minds it had to deal with combined to pronounce it both small and unsound. Under the hostile light, it could not save itself from shrinking. It would glance about vainly for a gleam to suit its own, and then to straighten to a line with a cross at either end, like the pupil of a cat in the fierce light of the sun." Left in this manner without any friends, with her heart and her soul among lions, my kitty, although of strong substance, began to doubt whether there is any justice. Good as she was, and clear and truthful, and possessing that sense, which is now turned into folly by higher discoveries, of a guiding power beyond our own, she drove to believe that no harm could touch her, while she continued blameless. But it was a fearful battle for a timid maiden to have to fight. Happily for both herself and me, her enemies, before they got her down, fell out about their lawful prey. When Donovan Bullrag joined the hunt, at first he was content to turn the quarry towards the other hounds, and enjoy the distress unselfishly. But after a while, like an eager dog, he began to kindle towards the prey, and shot forth jealous glances and resolved to have a nip for his own tooth. So far as such a hound could care for anything outside his own hide, he became enamored of the charming chase. His mother, with her quick malignant eyes, perceived it, and was furious. Her pet scheme was that her sweet downy, her golden downy, as she called him, should marry gold and succeed to the title, which was not improbable, restore its impoverished glory and set her on high triumphant. Then her proud sister at Halliford would come and sue to be reconciled, and her daughters with the lovely hair would shine in merry fortunes. She would cast the professor and his grimy works behind her, and reign as she deserved to reign. In furtherance of this lofty plan, she had already chosen for her son a most desirable helpmate, a lady of good birth and yet sufficiently akin with commerce to redden her blue blood with gold, and a very quiet, harmless girl who would gladly fill the chest with guineas, and hand the key to her mother-in-law. To be a stepmother to gentleness had been a pleasant and refreshing task, but to be the mother-in-law of wealth would afford even finer occasions of delight, 
She had always been proud of her son's strong will and resolute knowledge of his own mind. While they moved in the course she had marked for them, but if they went astray, they must be crushed. With her usual promptitude, she resolved to bring the matter to a point at once. Downey had arrived at the same determination. He had no idea of doing what he disliked, and his mother had told him that she meant to call upon Lady Clara Voucher, the only child and heiress of the Earl of Clarenhouse, and expected his company that afternoon in a carriage she had bought, but not paid for. Very well, he had said. We will talk about it for his sisters were present and he preferred a single combat. Knowing that his mother was now alone, he came into the room with his quiet, heavy tread and sat down, and crossed his legs and looked at her. Downy Bullrag, even while he was a boy, had been able to earn a large competence of hatred. As a young man he had increased the stock and throve upon it, and fattened on the buttering of his own slimy fame. Good and simple young fellows of his own age disliked him from what they had heard of him, but none had the power to hate him properly until they had seen him. But after that they knew what to do. They spat on the ground when they thought of him. "'What is it, Downey?' asked his mother, unwarily surrendering the weather-gauge of silence. "'You look as if something had put you out. I think it is I who have the right to be put out.' Downey began to roll a cigarette, that ragged mummy of the great King Nicot, which was then just beginning to cast its dirty ash about. He wetted his fingers with a little sharp smack of his lips, but made no answer. "'You will not smoke here,' cried his mother, already discarding the superior maternal tone. "'I never let your father smoke in my presence, and I am sure that I shall never let a boy like you.' "'Who is going to smoke?' asked Downey with gruff contempt at this instance of feminine precipitance. You may smoke by and by when you have a house of your own and a dear little wife to spoil you. But you are coming with me to see her, and you must not smell of tobacco yet. For a short time you must be on your best behavior. Not that sweet Clara would ever object to anything you like, my dear, but that others might take advantage of it to make you seem less devoted to her than you are. She is the catch of the season, you know, and there are so many young men after her. She will make the best wife any man could have, so pleasant and amiable and accomplished, and in spite of that so sweetly pretty. When I saw her the night before last at Lady Indigo's, I thought I had never seen anyone so charming. I don't think much of her good looks. "'Then you are most ungrateful, for she dotes on you,' her dear friend, the Countess, said. "'Tell your noble Downey not to be frightened by sweet Clara's money. Her heart is entirely his. What a lucky fellow!' And then she sighed, for a little plan of hers has been quite upset by this romantic episode. "'Oh, you are fortunate indeed, my dear, and perhaps a little credit may be fairly due to me.' Now put on the coat with the sable trimmings. You look so foreign and distinguished in it, and it shows your broad chest in such a striking way. That dear countess said it made her quite jealous about her dowdy countrymen, and she thought it had something to do with your conquest. I don't mean to go at all. The dutiful son, as he pronounced these words, threw his bulky shoulders back and planted one big elbow on the arm of his easy chair 
and gazed calmly through his yellow lashes, smiling slightly as he watched the color rising on his mother's dark face. He knew that two stern wills were coming into clash, and the victory would be for the one that did not waste itself in fury. "'Do you mean to tell me,' began the lady trembling at heart and her voice becoming tremulous, "'that you intend to throw away all I have done?' "'that you will not marry Lady Clara Voucher?' "'That is exactly what I do mean. "'I will never marry Lady Clara Voucher.' "'And why? "'Perhaps you will condescend to give some reason?' "'I mean to marry someone else. "'I mean to marry Kitty Fairthorne.' "'His mother arose, as she generally did, "'when her furious temper burst all bounds.' Often enough, and too often, she had been in a tempest of wild passion, but never till now in such a hurricane of rage. At first she was stilled by her own commotion, and the lines of her face twitched as with palsy. "'Tell me again,' she said, crossing her arms and speaking with great effort as she stood before him, and he sat tranquil. "'I cannot believe it till I have heard it twice.' "'Certainly, ma'am, to oblige you.' I mean to marry not Lady Clara, but your stepdaughter, Kitty. You ninny! You rebel! You stubborn doll! She had usually a fine store of these expressions, but they seemed to desert her in this great need, and he nodded his head at every one, as if to say, Try something better than that. You, but it is useless. You are too base to care. You sit there like a lump of yellow jaundice. Do you think that a beautiful girl like Kitty, the vile, designing, artful minx, I will throttle her. I wish I had her here. Go and fetch her. Bring her to me. I don't blame you. But she will pay for this. With her life she shall. If they hang me tomorrow. Come, mother, come. You have let off a good bit of steam already. You will be as right as a trivet after a few more choice expressions. Don't spare them if they do you good, you know. I shall never be right again. My heart is broken. I feel myself dying, and you have killed me. You, my own son, have murdered me. Oh, good God, what is this pain? She fell upon the floor and moaned and gasped, pressing both hands to her leaping heart, and scared of all wrath by the dread of death. Now and then she muttered prayers for mercy, broken with groans of agony. Downey was terrified and ran for brandy as she began to tear her hair and clutch at the carpet, with shrieks growing weaker and more gurgling. And as he ran back, his sister Euphrasia met him and snatched the bottle from his hand. "'You have done it!' cried Frizzy. "'I knew you would. One of these days she'll kill herself.' "'You go away. You're not wanted here. She shouldn't take it from your hand to save her life.' I knew it must come. Get away, get away. Don't let her eyes hit upon you when she rolls them, or she will go off worse than ever. She knows everything when she is insensible. Well, you women are cure, said Downey, recovering his strength of mind. I shall go to my own room and have a cigar. You can come and tell me when she is all right. I am not sure that she will ever be all right, said his sister, desiring to frighten him. I have never seen her quite as bad as this but he only answered, What a funk you are! She shall not beat me with all this stuff. He had very little conscience, and that little, to use a stock word now in fashion, particularly 
reticent, and the still small voice, if there were any, could not find much to say at this time. In nothing but the rudeness of his manner had he offended against strict right, and he never even knew when his manner was rude, because it was his nature. He could not help having a passionate mother who flew into a fury when her plans were crossed, so he smoked a cigar and considered his next step. It was plain to him now, without need of thought, for he was not good enough to be a fool, that something decisive might be done at once. He knew what his mother was too well to suppose that any arguments of his, or any regard for his feelings, would ever induce her to consent to his marriage with Kitty Fairthorne. And he knew that Kitty did not like him, although he had never ill-used her, and in her old-fashioned way would regard the relation of their parents towards one another as a bar to any marriage between them. And he knew that her money, through her father's neglect, had been placed out of her disposal, but in spite of all obstacles he meant to have her, and her money afterwards. Up to the present time he had feigned to be the ally of Sir Cumberlay Hotchpot, and to forward his suit very warmly, at the same time he had contrived to earn some gratitude from Kitty, and to make her look upon him as her friend in need, by flying to her rescue now and then, and sometimes even carrying off her too insistent suitor. This he had been doing more and more, as his passion increased and jealousy combined with pity on her behalf. Thoroughly despising the older villain for his shallowness more than his villainy, he began to hate him also for his insolence to the fair one, Having now declared his own intentions, he must put a stop to all that stuff. While he was thinking much more of these things than of his injured mother, he heard a gentle but hurried knock at his door, and in came Kitty. She was trembling and flushed with some excitement, and her beautiful hair was disarranged. "'Oh, Donovan!' she cried, for she never called him Downy. "'I have heard that your mother is very ill, and they are quite alarmed about her.' "'Sarah came in such a hurry for some bottle of my father's, "'but I was afraid to let her have it, "'for they have no idea how to use it. "'Don't you think you had better run for Dr. Yollop? "'They won't let me in to ask them, "'and I'm afraid to go for him without orders.' "'No, Kitty, no, it is nothing more than usual. "'She should never see the doctor if he came, "'and it would only set her off again. "'Frizzy knows best how to manage her. "'She has been in a great wax, even for her.' and she is just a bit frightened as she ought to be. It will do her a world of good when she comes round and teach her to take things easier. But you look quite startled, my dear child. Give me a kiss, and I will tell you all about it. Kitty obeyed, though with some reluctance. One of her many charms was obedience, and she had often been told in the early days that as they were now one family to exchange the friendly salute was proper. But lately she had been surprised that Downey, after long indifference to its value, had returned to this form of expressing esteem. The young man had meant to defer for a while a declaration which must be unwelcome at first, but he felt sure now that the first thing his mother would do, as soon as she was well enough, would be to fall on the poor maiden about it, and put it in the most outrageous way, much better for his cause that he should speak of it himself and win perhaps some credit for his defiance of Kitty's natural foe. He was always bold in word and deed, and now he spoke with as little fear as grace. You must have seen, my dear, that lately I have been growing very fond of you. 
You have seen that I always take your part when people go to bully you, and why do you suppose I do it? Why? Because I am so fond of you. Thank you, Donovan. I have often thanked you in my mind, though not in words. Placed as we are, it is quite right that we should be fond of one another. Oh, I don't mean that sort of thing at all. My mother married your governor, but that would only make it natural that we should hate one another. And there is no love lost between you and Frizzy, or Jerry either, so far as that goes. What I mean is that I am fond of you as as a fellow is of his sweetheart. And I mean to marry you, indeed I do, as soon, why, as soon as you like, almost. Poor Kitty looked at him as if he must be joking. Or if it were not that, he must have taken too much wine, as he did sometimes, especially when he had been much with Sir Cumberlay. How provoking you are, Kitty. There, sit down. You will get used to the idea in about five minutes. Why, there's nothing surprising in it, I should think though you may have thought that I was looking higher, but I have always had my own peculiar views. I can do without money and rank and all that, and I have taken a real fancy to you. This is enough to prove it, don't you think? Give us your flipper, as that old rogue says, for I mean business. Upon my word, I do, and I fancy it won't stick too much in your gizzard that the old woman rages like a tiger against it. I can scarcely believe that you mean this. It is utterly impossible. I don't know how people take such things, but to me it is simply horrible. Never speak of it again if you wish me to speak to you. Promise me never to speak of it again. Very well. Settle it so, if you like, at any rate for the present. You have got hold of some queer ideas, I suppose. High church crotchets or some such rubbish— you will come to think better of it by and by. And by the holy poker she shall be glad to do so, he muttered to himself when she was gone. We will try a bold stroke, my pretty dear, and you shall come on your knees to me to marry you. End of chapter 28